This episode is brought to you by Cash Rewards. I didn't have a plan B. Mm. I was like, this is what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a ballerina. There was nothing else that ever came in. You know, we're, we're about 280 plus shows a year now with the Australian <gasps> Ballet. Yeah, madness. In, in Sydney, it's not unusual for us to do 23 shows in a row. I think my brain was more made for ballet and remembering steps rather than like English and algebra <laughs> and stuff like that. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy, and fulfillment along the way. Hello, lovely neighborhood. Coming to you from back in lockdown, but the yay lives on in your ears. So glad you're enjoying the first few versions of Yays of Our Lives. I can't wait to see this segment blossom as a product of our beautiful community over the coming months. Our plans have been a little delayed again now that I can't be on the road to go and meet these neighborhood heroes and record their stories. But if these crazy times are teaching us anything, it's to be flexible and open-minded so we are working around it and we'll get there in the end. Meanwhile, back with another guest, and this one was requested by several different people in the survey from last year, and it was super convenient for me that you all wanted to hear from a ballerina, because as many of you know, I was a ballerina in my first life and have actually followed this particular dancer all through her career because we started at the Australian Ballet School at very similar times. So it was pure joy to pick her brains about going pro and also to reveal the blood, sweat, tears, broken toes, and all the fun things that most people don't actually know about the ballet world. Yep, we are lucky enough to have principal artist Amy Harris joining us on the show today. That's the highest rank you can make at the Australian Ballet, of which there are only currently 12 in total. You will probably be able to hear in my voice how magical it was for me to be transported back into the wonderful world of ballet, and I hope you share some of the magic learning about its inner workings to. As always, I love to dive into new worlds that might be new to some of you or all of you and leave you with a bit of new knowledge on how it works and its terminology. But I fear this time I may have slipped too easily back into some things, forgetting that a lot of the world of ballet is not common knowledge, particularly the language and the French terminology. So if I did leave anything out, please excuse me and shoot Amy or I any DMs to clarify. I'll share some footage on socials too, so you can truly appreciate the absolute athletic athleticism, grace and beauty of Amy dancing and really appreciate the art form that I can't wait to see return to the stage this February. Assuming all things go to plan, the Australian Ballet will be back for its first show in a year with Summertime at the Ballet that combines pieces from quite a few different ballets on the 25th of Feb and I'll also include links to that in the show notes. I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. Amy Harris, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. 
I am so, so excited to have you on the show. I think you might know I also went through the Australian Ballet School back in the day around the Lee Rolls era. I had Mr. Zolomsky. I feel like you probably know a lot of the teachers that I had. Back in the day. Back in the day. (laughs) And it is just wonderful to have a principal artist on the show. I feel like childhood me is just dancing around and doing pirouettes with excitement. (laughs) So welcome. Thank you. So before Before we kick off, I start every episode by asking everyone what the most down to earth thing is about them. And I think ballet is one of those areas that what you see on the outside is always so polished. It's the performances, it's the extravagant costumes and the perfect footwork. And we don't get to see a lot of what's on the other side. And you also have two children. So motherhood adds a whole nother layer to that. So (laughs) dish up. (laughs) Oh my God, there is so much. I think, yeah, exactly what you said. It's so glamorous, but um, underneath it's certainly chaos and madness for me. There's washing in a pile on my bed right now, which I'm not going to show you. Um, <laughs> you know, there's there's toys around the, the toy room. There's beds that are unmade. Like I'm just the regular kind of gal with, you know, two kids and a husband that is also in the ballet world. So it's absolute madness. Um, <laughs> I, I'm pretty good at having a good old laugh. I love a laugh. Everyone's like, my cackle is is kind of, you know, they know it's me and can hear it from a mile away. Um, so I'm pretty good at having a laugh and, you know, being down to earth, but um, I'm keeping it real by by everything not always being as it seems. <laughs> but, um, it's my madness that I love and keeps me, you know, keeps me grounded. <laughs> I love that. And that's why I always start with that question because it's so easy to forget that everyone has that madness behind the scenes. And oh, I, sure. by starting with that, I feel like people just get, they get so excited that, oh, she's a human. Like yeah. <laughs> when we see you on stage, you are superhuman. Like you don't yeah. think of you as a normal person who has washing to do. Like what? You do washing? What do you mean? <laughs> I mean, I wish I didn't have, you know, all the washing and I had someone do that for me. But um, actually I did last week. My mom was doing it, bless. Um, but no, we're just like like everybody else and we have all those chores and everything to do and we jam-pack them into a Sunday. And, you know, it's that thing I always laugh. People are like, you are so not what you're like on stage. I'm a bit, I'm a bit mad. I'm a bit crazy. I'm very relaxed, t-shirt, jeans kind of girl. I don't comb my hair. (laughs) So it's a very different kind of me that you'll see on stage, hopefully very soon. Oh, how exciting that you're getting back on stage. (laughs) (laughs) But I also think this is so wonderful because artists in particular do have such a different persona in what they do in their work to your life every other minute, even though, of course, lots of your minutes are consumed by the rigorous training and rehearsing. But yeah, I, I love this show for the pure reason that it allows me to sort of pry a little bit below the surface and expose the day-to-day of people's joy and people's lives that anyone who's never done ballet would have absolutely no idea what it takes you to do your hair. Like even the fact that you have to learn how to do your hair for all the different roles that you play and the different headpieces you wear, like that nitty gritty is the stuff that I get so excited to reveal to the world. Absolutely. And I think it's, um, it's becoming more one of those things that we're focusing on, you know, the behind the scenes. And I do think it's important. I mean, this is my 20th year in the company and my mom has always come to dress rehearsals and you know it's the night before you're about to open and have that big opening night and then a really big season and so things may not be 
right and we go back and we do things again and it's it shows that rawness and she's always loved that of course she loves a beautiful show and everyone loves a show that just runs smoothly but it's nice to see those elements you know and because we're just getting on stage and so we're adding layer by layer of a, of a costume or a tutu or you know whatever it be um, and live music so it's not always smooth as much as you want it to be, but it's also a one chance on stage before, you know, we let the public in and have our big opening night as a premiere. So I think we're getting, we're getting, you know, kind of more into the behind the scenes. And I think that's a great thing. And we're really willing to share that it's not just, you know, you plop us on stage and voila, here we are. <laughs> There's a lot of blood, sweat and tears behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will absolutely get to my major question that I think people People will want to know, which is the perception that they have of the ballet world from centre stage and Black Swan. <laughs> like, how different actually is it in real life? <laughs> but before we'll we get, get there, <laughs> the first section is your way TA, where we trace back all of the decisions and chapters and versions of Amy before the one that is now a principal artist and sort of seems to have it made and gets up every morning and has purpose. You know, we although most young girls do have a, a deep love for ballet in their early years it's not very many that actually decide to take it on as as a career and get to, to live that life so yeah. I'd love to go back to very young Amy in Ararat <laughs> how you got into ballet you know at the age of three I started at three as well did you have career aspirations from very early did you consider any other pathways did you enjoy school like tell us about young you Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, I grew up in Ararat and it's a small country town. And I think for a lot of us, ballet or dance was a hobby. I, I had many friends that I went to primary school with and they also did the same. And it started out just, you know, the fairy dance classes and banging the tap <laughs> shoes and there was no technique to anything that I was doing. Jazz, <laughs> ballet, I, I did it all. And oddly, if you ask my mom, she was like, I was least interested in ballet. And I think, you know, as a young girl or a young male, and, and it's, it's so wonderful to see so many more boys and then, you know, it's hard. There's a real discipline and a concentration and, you know, you're holding on to the bar. It's not all about the leaps and the turns and that fun stuff that we, we want to get to. There's a real technique and, and the art form really does have this progression to it. You start out slow and there's a tondu which is on the ground and a jeté which is off and then we do, you know, développé and grand batman then we're off the bar. So there's this slow progression and I don't always think it's something that grabs you as a young child. So it was there and I still did it every day, but it wasn't something that I was like, I've got to be a dancer or a ballerina when I grow up. But something switched when I was about 10. And I did a lot of competitions, which I loved, you know, because it gave me that opportunity to put on my tutu and a tiara and my mm. purple eyeshadow back in the day. <laughs> 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 and um, I met so many people and we traveled and we got to go on stage so frequently. I mean, I didn't initially, I remember my mom driving me and I had it all, the gel in my hair and I had the purple eyeshadow I was in costume stand inside stage and she could not get me on stage. There was no way I was getting out there. Wow. And I don't know what it was. And now you can't get me off. Or Now it's kind of doing the full circle where I'm like, oh, my God, devil and angel are talking to me to get on stage. But I don't know what that was. And then all of a sudden it turned around and I just loved it. And about 10 I was at a competition and my mum struck up a conversation with 
my beautiful ballet teacher in Ballarat, Miss Carol Oliver, who's very well known in the Shaketti world. She struck up a conversation. I was like, my mom was like, I've got this little girl and she just, she wants to be a ballerina. <laughs> I do, you know, like she wants more and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So she said, well, she's more than welcome to come down and take some classes. And I did. And from there, I went once a week to four times a week to, I think, nearly every day back and forward on the highway, that hour trip. And then, bless, she just nurtured and introduced me to the world of ballet, which was Melbourne and the Australian Ballet School, where we started Associates and we're in our little white leotards. and (laughs) the white ones. Yeah, the white ones. And, (laughs) yeah, and from there I did some Associates, which was at that point just a Saturday morning. And then I, I think it was in Level 5, which we called it back then. It became a Wednesday night and a Saturday morning. And I successfully auditioned for the Australian Ballet School. I was a little younger than they had taken previously, but my dance teacher was just like, I really want you to do this for experience. I think it'll be great for you. You know, it's where you want to go and it's always good to kind of put yourself into that position. So I auditioned, not really thinking anything of it because, you know, you're that year younger and and that's not what they'd done in the past. So I was at a girlfriend's place, high school, had a sleepover, very normal, and my mum come up with this big envelope and it was, (gasps) am I in or am I not kind of thing? And I opened it up, tears, joy, you know, jumping for joy, and I had gained a place with the Australian Ballet School as a first year. And back then it was only three years. So I did my three years there and then successfully graduated into the Australian Ballet Company. And here I am 20 years later. So that's my kind of little journey to where I to where I am now from a little country kid. Oh. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so, this brings me back so much and just speaks to a side of me that once was my entire identity and just is such a magical world if you've ever been part of it. And I love sort of enlivening it for other people to experience without them ever having to do it. Yeah. You take for granted, like it's so funny that the first question I asked you was, you started when you were three, did you have career aspirations? Which outside (laughs) of ballet is a weird thing to ask, but within it, your big career revelation was at 10. Yeah. And I think one of the wonderful things about it is that it teaches you so much discipline and self-management and goal setting. And like, I remember doing those Steadfords as well. Did you do South Street in Ballarat? Yes, it was such a good competition. (laughs) I loved it. Yeah. But we're like choosing our own eyeshadow and costumes and music and choreography. And you get such ownership over your direction and your, it's almost like you have to find a teacher who will be strict enough on you because you want to have the strictest, bestest teacher. And (laughs) I've never, even after I left ballet, I've never lost those things that it taught me so I it's, don't think you ever will will yeah. you they then come into life in some other way and yeah I really think it's just in your blood almost <laughs> totally so talk us through just before we get into the professional era with the Australian ballet you know before that you mentioned Shaketti which outside of ballet is a bit of a weird term <laughs> so to give you guys some background there are a few different syllabuses or methods of ballet around the world that you train in Shaketti and RAD probably being the main two. It's kind of like VCE versus International Baccalaureate for year 12. You get to choose. There are different levels within each. They have different set exercises in each. You have different colors of leotards, color-coded for which level you're in. And then you set exa- you know, you sit exams for each level as you prog- 
progress. And both of them have ballet at the bar, then you move away from the bar into the center, then you progress to jumps. And this is all kind of the structure of the ballet world before you then go professional. Uh, So tell us about the structure of the ballet world so that we all can kind of understand what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. From three to now 37, the structure of ballet doesn't change. The challenges are very different and it and it gets harder, of course, but the structure itself is, you know, plies, tondus and that, you know, progression on bar to then into the centre. I think for me, going back to how you were saying about the grading, the white leotard to the pink to the dusty <laughs> pink, then to the navy um, and now <laughs> free for all, whatever you want to wear, you know, you're in, you're in a class with everyone in those white leotards and there's everyone in there that has the same kind of, goals or you know I want to be a ballerina or a ballet dancer and I'd never been amongst that so much like everybody was there for that reason and wanted to do more and wanted to get accepted into the next year level to then I want to successfully audition for the Australian Ballet School so there was a real kind of buzz and energy and I think that's so important and what we kind of lost last year doing it through a screen and it's always been something that's given me that drive with without it I, I find it really hard and and kind of unmotivating so mm. I mean even now today with my colleagues it's like we bounce off each other and I think it's that real deep understanding of what we do day in and day out and not many other people probably really which is going back to our first question about bringing people in to understand the behind the scenes and maybe that's something we need to do more and we have started with World Ballet Day and stuff like that and you can see the ins and the outs of what we do in our daily routine and kind of really following someone, you know, through just even one day gives you a Mm. insight into, you know, the madness that we are. (laughs) I think that for me was, I don't know, just really set a fire inside my belly, starting in the white and then progressing and just being amongst, you know, probably at that point, 20, maybe 21 other dancers that were all just kind of set in their sights. Yeah. Something with a lot of hard work and determination and it just kind of builds you, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think one of the coolest things about that is just there's such a global understanding in the ballet community, like in Shaketi and RAD, like we talked about before, the set levels with the set exercises even has set music that's consistent all over the world in ballet schools that teach those levels. So you could walk into a class in Paris or Tokyo, not understand anything, but you'd hear the music and you'd know what the exercise is. And it starts from like three or four. When we started at three years old, you start doing those first levels and then you work your way up those levels until the idea is, you know, this is in your home ballet school. So any ballet school you, you kind of can enroll in. The idea is to to go full time after that. And then the aim from that is to audition to get into the Australian ballet and, and become a professional. So when did you go full time? When did you leave your home ballet school and, and get into the Australian ballet? And then how did you juggle finishing school? And, and that's one of the biggest parts of for a ballerina is deciding how to how to juggle all that. Yeah. So I uh, finished my school in life in a secondary college um, in year nine and so went straight into the ballet school in what was my first year and we continued year 11 in my first year and second year you did your equivalent to year 12 and then the third year was just predominantly dancing and you went on what they called back then the dancers tour it's now the regional tour so you did follow on with your schooling alongside the dancing and they just kind of mixed it and they still do that now 
it's important, you know, it's, um, you don't know which way it's kind of going to go for you. So it's still important to have that schooling and, you know, it, it's a juggle, but you don't know any different. I don't think because, you know, I was at school and we're traveling down the highway every day and it's what you've always known, but yeah, it, it kind of, it continued for me in, in the ballet school and you just did it alongside your, your dancing. So you're in the classroom for ballet and then you're in the classroom for your English lessons. And that's um, basically just how we did it and how we knew it. And that was the three years and done. And there were some of my friends that then went into university. So it can happen and there's ways around it. So the qualification was still there and um, mm. some of us went the ballet path and some went into university, into the world that way. Did you ever, ever entertain another pathway at all in those kind of formative years where you still have a foot in both doors and there's still a chance that you could do something else? Like did you ever think if I wasn't a ballerina I would do or was it just sort of like this is – only a backup. I'm just finishing because I have to and I want to get on stage. (laughs) (laughs) I think if you asked my mum, I would have been like, I don't want to do any more school. (laughs) But no, for me, once I kind of made the decision to make ballet a more um, uh, kind of, I suppose it started to take over a little bit more. It was more about ballet than what it was schooling for me. And once that's kind of started to take over, I didn't have a plan B. Mm. I was like, this is what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a ballerina. And, you know, I think it's such a funny thing, like as a country kid, I'd say that, you know, to some of my teachers and they'd be like, sure, but you still need to do schooling and textiles and home economics. And I'm like, I don't care for it, you know. And I even stupidly was like in French class and I was like, I'm never going to need this though, you know. And I'm like... <laughs> Not like not thinking about the actual relevance of the French terminology and what we use every single day and will for forever in the ballet world. And then my first overseas trip was to Paris. So there we go. I should have listened to my French teacher and my mum. But yeah, for me, once I'd made the decision to become a ballerina or for my dreams to be a ballerina, there was nothing else that ever came in. There was nothing wow. that I was that passionate about. And, you know, the hard thing is that in a, in a work sense, there is still nothing that I can think of that I am that passionate about. You know, mm. it's a crazy thought and it doesn't last forever. And I don't think there will be a time in my life where ballet or dance isn't a part of what I do, whether it be watching and supporting, whether it be going back to my dance school and teaching. Willow does not want to do ballet. (gasps) (laughs) No, everyone's like goth. She's like long and lean and like gorgeous, you know. Um, No, not interested at all. So there you go. I don't know. Maybe it'll be Phoenix that does it. Who knows? Or maybe neither. So crazy. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> but so fascinating. I mean, the whole premise of this show is finding what makes you yay and, and then learning to actually listen to that and not be swayed too far in the direction of the should or of what seems sensible to everyone else. And, you know, as limited as the places in the ballet world are, and they really are at the top, you know, principal artist level, or even even just at the very beginning levels of being a professional, we call it the corps de ballet, which is the body of the ballet. So that's where you start uh, when you first go professional, you know, 
as limited as those places are, someone has to get there. So right. why shouldn't it be you? Why why shouldn't you have a go? And and I love that for so many creatives and artists, like in ballet and other professions, that passion does hit you from a much younger age than it might for mm-hmm. others, which then of course becomes very overwhelming when you do get to the point where retirement also often happens a lot earlier than it does in yeah. other professions. And I mean, you're now also the perfect guest to have on to talk about how you will find another yay Oh, you know, I always say the why stays the same, but the how might have to change. So it's interesting that you brought that up (laughs) early too. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, I think, like you said, it does happen really early on. And I, I do believe that it's gotten even earlier. There are, you know, young kids out there that have decided from such a young age, that this is what they're going to do. And, you know, some of them make it. And I just think it's incredible and going full time a lot earlier than, than what I did. Um, mm. So, yeah, everyone's path is very, very different, but there's something about it that kind of hits you and and that drive and that passion grows really early on. Oh, yeah. I get goosebumps talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> so for a lot of us who didn't end up going full time, you know, we might have stopped when we were at a, a sort, certain level where we'd go to classes after school, then on, you know, go to classes on the weekend, your exams will be at the end of the year, you'd have a big end of year concert. So it worked around your kind of regular school life. Uh, and we'd have those structured classes we talked about. Then you'd also have open classes where the teacher or director would just make up the exercise and it wasn't the same structured syllabus. You could wear whatever you want, whatever color leotard you wanted to those classes. Then there was also another kind of class called repertoire, and that's when you start learning the choreography for the roles that everyone knows of, like the Nutcracker or Cinderella or Sleeping Beauty. You know, that's not what you start doing when you're younger. You you do the normal classes and then you get to do those as you get older. So when you went professional, how did that structure change? Because obviously you usually had finished your Shaketi or RAD syllabus. Most of your classes, I imagine, are just open, the the director teaches you whatever they want to teach you and you're training to do particular ballets all the time as you're performing. So how does your day start? You know, people don't even know that everything in ballet is French. Every exercise has a French name. Every level of the ballet starts from the corps de ballet, as we mentioned, which is the body, you know, then all the way up, there's lots of French names for the levels to get to principal artist. Talk us through all of that kind of landscape. Yeah. So the different levels, obviously, the corps de ballet is the body of the company. And then you progress up to what is called a corifee. And then we have the soloist, senior artist, and the principal artist at the top. And that's kind of roughly a structure that happens throughout the world in in ballet. Um, They might have a little, like a slight difference in, um, they might say a first soloist instead of a senior artist, but roughly that's kind of the ranking um, in in Paris. They call them the etoile as the principal artist. So that's kind of- That means stars, everyone. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Etoile means stars. (laughs) <laughs> uh, so that's basically, yeah, everywhere around the ballet world, you'll see that kind of same structure in terms of ranking throughout the company. But um, on a day-to-day in terms of routine from when we went from a student, which was all about your classwork, as you said, you know, you'd start your ballet class, you'd have repertoire and we'd have pas de deux where it was when you, you know, finally got to meet with your man and he did all the hard work and the lifting and the turning and, you know, and then you'd have the performance element, which wasn't for me 
me until probably we got into our third year at the ballet school where we got to do a lot more of that performance element. And like I said earlier, we went to Paris. We got invited to the Conservatoire de Paris there and we did a couple of shows, which is exciting. Then went on my dancers tour. But then there's this big switch when you get into the company because it's all about performance, you know, where we are about 280 plus shows a year now with the Australian. <gasps> yeah. Madness. And of course, Sydney almost being our second home, we do about a six, seven week stint in the April, May to the November and December. And then we get to travel around Adelaide, Brisbane. We've been to WA a few times. And then of course, home in Melbourne and overseas trips. But the switch is that you have your morning class and everyone starts with the morning class. It's like starting the day with a coffee. Like you have to have your morning class. <laughs> and then we have a 15 minute break and then it goes into a full day of rehearsals. So we rehearse from 12 to 2.30. Then we have a lunch break from 2.30 to 3.45. And then the second half of the day is 3.45 to 6.30. And that's when we're in our I guess we can call it our off season. So we're not performing, but when we are performing, we'll finish at three o'clock and generally you're rehearsing a ballet from 12 to three, but then doing a complete different one at night from seven 30 to say 10 o'clock at night. And people are like, how do you remember everything? And I'm like, I think my brain was more made for ballet and remembering steps rather than like English and algebra <laughs> and stuff like that. And you just get used to it. It's, you know, it's just, it's like our language. You know what I mean? It's like, mm. I say ton du derriere and sounds like, oh, what a what? You know, and I'm like, I know exactly what that is. So it's just that language that you get so used to from an early age. So yeah, the switch though is like, it's crazy to kind of do it from student to then working those long hours, you know, even, I mean, completely talking about food, but like it was like <laughs> lunchtime at 2.30, like 12 o'clock is lunch. So that was an extra, you know, two and a half hours. So the juggle between kind of knowing what your body needed to fuel your brain and to fuel your body, that was a real switch. And like, mm. then I've not worked till 6.30 at night. So <laughs> I'm supposed to do that, you know, like I'm clocking off at five and that might be when my call is, you know, full call of Swan Lake. So that took a lot. And I think too, it took a lot for the body to get used to as well. And I mean, touch wood, I've been really lucky with injuries and haven't had many in my career, but I definitely in my earlier days had a few niggles. And so I think that was just the demands of, of performing every night, you know, mm. and, and in Sydney, it's not unusual for us to do 23 shows in a row. <gasps> so Sundays are our day off and they're extremely precious. And that's where the glamour comes in where I don't really want to get out of my pajamas sometimes. Of course. Um, you know, I don't want to be made up. I want to be like you know, hairspray free, you know, and I want the eyelash go off my eyes. And I just, I just want to be me and just kind of, relaxed in my you know my tracky decks um mm. so yeah that switch for me I would say was quite a, quite an adjustment it's so cool because I think people don't realize that you're while a lot of people from nine to five are sitting down 
that whole time you're moving your body, like literally in the most physically grueling way. I don't think people understand the fitness that's required for you're jumping all the time. You're on your toes. Your every part of your body is flexed and positioned in a particular way. And that's so, so demanding. But I also remember, at least when I was there, there was a lot of support starting in. We were given nutritionists even at the ballet school. Yeah, absolutely. And, and had physios and Pilates. I had like a bung ankle for a while. I went on point way too early. I think it was like by level two and my feet hadn't stopped growing. So sorry, that's my golden retriever. <laughs> We've got a lot of home sounds going on today. <laughs> I just heard, I was like, oh my God, there's tears. <laughs> it's the best. Well, the tears aren't the best, but the home noises are lovely. <laughs> this, is, this is real. <laughs> so tell us how you you know, even just how many point shoes you would go through in a day. Like I used to have one pair and I would sort of wear that pair until they were battered. But, you know, I got into the school and we would, we would fangirl the principal artists and follow them around. And I've got all these (laughs) shoes signed by Justine Summers and be like, how are you giving me those shoes? And she'd be like, I've got 500, like it's fine. (laughs) I've got 500 of these stinky shoes in your world. I used to look in the bins. That's so bad. So did I. (laughs) In those change rooms, like you know how there's that long yeah. corridor? Is there still that yeah. long corridor? There's still the long corridor. It's changed a little bit, but, you know, you kind of always knew that the company dancers were at the other end of that corridor and you were kind of like, I'm just going to go to the dancers' deli and just sneak around and see what's <laughs> in the bin. <gasps> how funny is that? <laughs> is there still a point shoe room where you get fitted? Yeah. Okay. It's actually all glass now. The, the ballet <gasps> centre has had, you'll have to come and visit us, Um, you know, when this COVID business is over but Mm. we have this glass point shoe room and it's amazing they're just all out on display Um, and so very lucky at the Australian Ballet to have Block as which is the dance um, store if people don't know and they are you know literally keeping us on our toes but again it comes down to kind of your ranking as to how many pairs of point shoes you're allocated a week Um, but a lot of the time you you will find like you just said you know you kind of have 500 on the go and it's not always um you know you have a satin pair which is just your normal pair that you'll buy from a store you'll have a colored pair that have to be for a contemporary season or we did a a production called alice's adventures in wonderland and it was like tartan pairs of (laughs) red pair of shoes because i was the red queen you know so you have variety throughout the day um, you also have a harder pair to a softer pair to a this pair to a that pair. So it's kind of, yeah, it's it's like a mixed bag and it's sometimes you just kind of, you know, dig deep and just grab a pair and hope for the best. Like that'll be okay for this rehearsal. But I like to have a few on the go. Sometimes, you know, you're like, oh, they didn't feel great. I don't want to wear them. They're a class pair and you kind of start allocating and you write little numbers or... <laughs> I don't know, messages to yourself, breathe deep for this one, you know. Um, But, yeah, so it's really dependent on, you know, what rank you're in but also what your feet are like. I mean, Mm. I kind of have quite bendy feet and so I'm a pretty kind of pretty cruisy with my shoes but then I can get some that I'm like, oh, they are a bit soft for what I'm about to do if it's, um, you know, wearing Bayadere at the moment and also um, doing theme and variations, which is full classical ballet. So I feel like I need like the perfect pair of point shoes to finish off that line, not just kind of a, you know, an average shoe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
and it, also for people listening, ballerinas aren't always in their point shoes. Like, would you do your morning class just in flat shoes? We we do our bar actually. I always and have from the very beginning worn socks. I I love feeling the ground and like really kind of warming up. But then mm. actually, I could say every woman in the Australian ballet then put point shoes on for all of centre, even jump. Really? Yeah, yeah. I didn't initially but I have grown to love it and do it and um it's kind of become our norm so I suppose majority of the day now we are you know and I mean no one really wants to see your feet so you don't really want to take your shoes because they're not pretty well they're bruised and they're blistered and they're this and they're that you know how anyone could have a foot fetish is beyond me but (laughs) well they wouldn't go to ballerinas that's for sure (laughs) what do you do to your shoes so a lot of the time you might have seen guys in a couple of the movies some things that are accurate is that when you get a brand new point shoe, you have to break it into yeah. your foot. So you'd like bash it on the ground a little bit <laughs> or to protect the satin at the top, you might get like a rubber tip. Some of them only have elastic. Some of them have ribbons. Like what's your preference and ritual? I'm pretty basic, I have to say. A lot of the women darn their shoes, so give the kind of the tip of the shoe um, a bit more support. It also makes them last a little bit longer. It's a lot of effort though. I'm kind of just... <laughs> I'm the I'm a classic kind of ribbon and elastic on my heel, so I don't have that fear of you know my heels slipping off on stage. Um, but I do kind of get them and give them a bit of a bend and a bit of a smush with my heel and stand on them. <laughs> Some people shove them in the door and give them a good squash. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know it's so individual, and it and you know everyone's like, oh they're so beautiful, and we get them out and we're like crack, bang, cut, slice, dice, you know. So <laughs> yeah, do you slice the sole? sometimes and then shave the bottom of them if you want that little less kind of wobbliness um but yeah I'm pretty um cruisy with my shoe I don't get too it's probably one of the things I don't get a bit crazy over you know (laughs) (laughs) there's many other things I do but my shoe I'm kind of like no it'll be good it'll be great give it a bit of a bend and a twist and a stomp and so my ribbons and elastics and that's about all I do so And how do you protect your toes? So this is the other thing. People, I think, assume that you just put your foot straight in and then you're on your toes for the whole of Swan Lake, for example. But usually the toes are wrapped like there are, what are those slip things that? We used to call them toe condoms. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Fun. It's a much better term now for those. Um, Maybe toe jellies or something like that. <laughs> the names we come up with. Um, I actually, this might surprise you, but I wear nothing, absolutely nothing. I'm hardcore to the bone. <laughs> you are. Oh my gosh, your feet must be the strongest and the ugliest. Yeah, so, <laughs> it's a lose lose situation. I think. With, um, no, I don't wear anything. But I did initially. You know, when you start, it's like your feet have no idea the road they're about to go down. You know, you you just kind of fantasize about being on your toes all day long little do you know it's hardcore and it's painful at times and like you just said swan lake it's like bores which is literally on your toes you don't come down for the whole ballet but yeah I used to wear cotton wool and then I kind of got over the cotton wool and I'd band-aid every single toe and then I would only band-aid when I got a blister and then it became, I'm not wearing anything. And it was so much less hassle. Taking every Band-Aid off every night was just <laughs> Those little toe hairs. I was like, ah! So, yeah, then I just, 
I became like, oh, I'm not going to wear anything. And it's kind of been that way ever since. And, and it's, again, it's so individual. Mm. Some people wear chucks, you know, what you clean your dishes with. I know, remember like, people yeah, do, yeah. yeah. you see kind of blue or green or whatever kind of hanging out the top of our point Um <laughs> We do some really random things. And I think this is it, right? This is like the stuff that people want to see and want to know and kind of are maybe a little bit gobsmacked by, yeah, I mean, the beauty of ballet is certainly not at our feet, that's for sure. But what we do and then and and then can do and show you on stage is is the beauty of it. But oh. that's a little gross. <laughs> well, that was my next question. Back to the misconceptions from Black Swan and Center Stage. So before we get to the glam where we talk about your favorite roles and your favorite costumes and your favorite headdresses, what are some other weird things like the Chuck's wipes that people wouldn't know or things that people assume that aren't actually true in real life well I mean I don't know whether you agree but like Black Swan and he's known for you know quite extreme out there movies like there were some things in there like the picking of your fingernails but I mean I don't peel it down so much that my fingers <laughs> I'm bleeding but there are I suppose nervous like nervous energy um you know and it might be a picking of a fingernail or people have stands you know like how they stand you know waiting it's like hands on hips is a real one toe Mm. up or um there's a you know like tennis players we watch tennis players about how they do something and I have a real structured routine before I go on stage because for me that keeps my nervous energy I suppose at bay and my head really calm because for me it's really been it's been a mental struggle for me in the ballet world. It's always been more my my mental strength and power to my physical. That's mm. been my real challenge. So um, if I do these kind of things, like I always have the same routine. What I do on dress rehearsal, which is the night before opening, sticks for the whole show. So if I practice that in that spot, I'm giving away all my craziness. But No, this is amazing. <laughs> this is the best bit. <laughs> if I did that in that spot and I did it that many times or you know, like just simple things like we have a ballet bar to warm up at night. And so that goes from, generally it goes from 6.30 to 7 o'clock. And then we have half an hour before curtain up, which then means you have that time to do your nervous wee and put your headpiece on and put your lipstick on, put your perfume, put my shoes on, tutu, that gets done up. I walk to the stage. Rosin box, which is, um, it's like a grip for your heels, I suppose. So that's that extra security as well as wearing your on my point shoes and then I always have to stand in a fifth position on my toes and just kind of center myself and just be calm you know so that devil doesn't keep talking (laughs) Um, and then I feel kind of ready to to go on so I and everybody has their little their little things that they do um Mm. and I suppose you don't really pick up on them until it becomes, you know, day in and day out. And you're like, oh, okay, so I've got some things I do, right? Black <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Swan, I think it had some that were, I would say, absolutely, like there is, you know, that kind of thing and there's the injury. It was just so heightened, like it's never that extreme. Yeah. But there's blood and there's sweat and tears and, and, and all of that. Um, Center Sage, the same, you know, just... I don't know. Less Hollywood. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Lovely neighbourhood. just jumping in quickly with the best tip you'll get all year. If you haven't heard in our last episode, did you know you can get cash back when you shop online through our partner in Yay, Cash Rewards? 
I know, it sounds far too good to be true, but cash rewards get paid a commission from retailers they partner with and then share that with you for you to withdraw from your bank or PayPal account. So when I tell Nick I'm basically saving money by shopping, it's actually true. <laughs> and the best part is the 1,500 or so retailers they partner with are some of the best places for Aussies to shop. Think up to 20% cashback from MenuLog, up to 10% from the Iconic, 12% from Booking.com for you fellow wanderlusters, and so much more. Sign up for free to join myself and a million other Aussies who are already getting cash rewards and exclusively for the neighborhood. you can get a $20 cash bonus simply for signing up and shopping within 30 days when you use the code YAY. Link in the show notes now. What has been your favourite role ever to dance, Mm -hmm. favourite costume, hardest role, favourite, I'll say these again, but I just want to say them all now, (laughs) favourite part of deux and have you done any with Jared and any falls or wardrobe mishaps? (laughs) So many. You know what? It's really hard when someone asks what your your favorite role was or um, like why it was. And it's so different depending on where you are in life, in your career, mm. the time that that opportunity is given to you. And one off the top of my head is Hana in The Merry Widow. And I was given that opportunity kind of early on. I believe I was a soloist still. But then I was given it again in 2018. So very different points in my career and life. And so I think that's, that one is special for so many different reasons. And it's a beautiful ballet and I had amazing partners, very special times. So that one, whenever someone says to me, what is it? That one comes to mind. But then I had two incredible shows of my, I, I debuted as Aurora, which is in Sleeping Beauty. <sighs> You know, as you know, I've got goosebumps. Look, (laughs) (laughs) that's like bucket list kind of ballerina role. You know, it's that one that I think everyone dreams of doing. And I was fortunate enough to graduate on that uh, part of deux. And so we were on the state theatre stage in Melbourne. Seriously, like I think the best theatre in the world. Um, And I performed only the grand part of deux. And then 16 years later, I got to perform the three-act ballet and it was my debut again at the State Theatre. So again, for different reasons, it was like it had come a full circle and I was a very different, I was a senior artist and, you know, I was doing it amongst my colleagues who, you know, are incredibly supportive. And um, so that was a pretty magical time and also two shows that, Oddly, I was not nervous for, which never happens. And I don't know what it was about that. I don't know whether it was like I'd waited so long to do this. And finally, my moment had come and I was like, you've got nothing to lose, only to gain. So um, costume-wise... I don't know what you would, you would have seen it in Sir Peter Wright's Nutcracker, the mother in the beautiful red gown <gasps> and she has this wig on and these jewels and it's like, oh my God, um, that is my favorite role. And it's just a walk on role, but it's a mom. And of course I've done that at different points in my career, but everyone fights over it. Everyone's kind of like, I'm not <laughs> down for mom. Like I want to be put down for mom. This role is amazing. Um, and I think it's because of the costume. It's absolutely divine. And I think very, very expensive. So, and you feel expensive wearing it. Um, <laughs> I think there's actually a doco about the costume department. Yes. It is 
extraordinary. Absolutely. We are so lucky. Like each single costume is made and fitted to you and the detail. And I think if anyone out there ever, you know, goes onto the website and sees it, there, there, there is a tour either at the Ballet Centre or at Altona where all of our sets are stored, go and do it. It mm. is absolute magic. Um, it's really, even for us, we see them on the stage, but we went out to Altona and we're like, oh my God, everything just there in this big warehouse and lines of costumes. Um, incredible. So we're very, we're very spoiled actually. <laughs> <laughs> and oh my goodness, stack wise, I was actually just talking to, to a dear friend about this one yesterday at work and we were doing Don Quixote and we have gypsy dresses that are floor length and in character shoes and we're doing a shimmy. And I shimmied back, but as I shimmied back, I stood on my skirt. So <laughs> I got lower and lower to the ground and just fell to the ground. And <laughs> I could not hold it in. It was so bad. That was the end of the dance. We ran off and I was in the change room crying with laughter. It wasn't one that I was upset about. I was just crying with laughter. It was so funny. And I was at the front. So all the girls saw me behind. So that was one that was a funny one, but I've had many that have not been so funny where I've kind of ugly cried in the shower and um, (laughs) (laughs) had to kind of pull myself together and, you know, I, but I think as, as bad as it is or maybe as hard as, as it is for you as an artist to kind of have those moments, it really makes it seem so real for the audience. You know, mm. it's like we're just human beings and we have our nights where some things just go wrong and it's out of our control and, you know, your, your ribbon, hopefully not, but your ribbon might come off or um, you might slip on stage and, you know, we rehearse and rehearse and rehearse, but there's always a nervous energy or just that little extra that comes into a performance and, you know, you know that you're performing to a theatre of a 1,000 or 600 or two, it doesn't matter whether it's a Saturday matinee or it's a Saturday night. You're giving it your all. And so I think you put yourself naturally in a bit of a vulnerable kind of state anyway. Mm. And so when those things happen, it is disappointing for you and, and, it, and it's kind of it's hard to swallow. But it really, I think, just, you know, makes everyone realise just that we are humans and things happen and it's A-OK. And you're going to be at your top of your game and still have those moments. They're not going to go away just because you're at the top. But, yeah, you laugh about them in years to come, but not <laughs> not at the time. Not so much at the time when you just want to ugly cry in the floor to just swallow you up and um, <laughs> exit the stage. So, <laughs> Oh, my gosh, I could keep picking your brain about this for so long. I'm just so, so interested. But moving to the next section, which obviously I've already run the first one way over time, the next one is NATA, which is some of the challenges and more of the human side that, again, often doesn't – I mean, when we see the performance, you don't see all the rehearsals and the hours of grueling training and injury and managing your energy levels and nutrition and you're on the road all the time you're traveling and then of course adding motherhood to the mix and then coming back to ballet when your body has literally pushed out two humans I can imagine that was like how does my body work now Mm. and and you mentioned the devil in your mind a couple of times before you go on stage what have been some of the biggest challenges for you and how have you managed them? Yeah. So, I mean, I think only naturally your ride is going to be a bit bumpy and some people have that longer than others. And I feel for me, probably in my first, probably seven years in the company, I was thrown a lot of challenges 
I had a few little niggles, which set me back. But then casting becomes a really big thing as well. And when you're not cast, the mind starts to, you know, kind of wonder why. And um, I, I, I found it really challenging those kind of first seven years in the company. And um, I put on weight as well. I was just so unhappy. Um, you know, ballet art is just, it's visual. I don't want to say it's all about what you look like, but there's a certain element to what you look like and how you perform and how you perfect your technique and how you execute things. And it's, it's, a, it's a lot on the individual, you know, it's, it's, mm. you do, you nitpick actually yourself and everything about yourself and you're in front of a mirror every day. So I went through, yeah, a bit of a rough period there where if you had have asked me, I think I was talking to my mum about this. If you had asked me probably two years in, whether I would make it to 20 years, I would have said, hell no, like wow. absolutely not. Because I think there were times there where even my mum, you know, she'd get that phone call in Sydney onto a howling, you know, mm. and that's tough for her to kind of hear that and know that that was my dream to, to go down this path, but it just, the path had gotten a little bit rocky <laughs> or, or, you know, hurdles were put in place. But the crazy thing is as much as my mind plays on me a lot, I think I'm quite strong and determined in that respect. And I was talking to a teacher or a coach very early on about there's the fire inside you. And I think you'll know when it goes out, but when it doesn't go out, there's still a fight. And I've always, I think, remained kind of that fire in my belly and I know now know like now that if I had have probably finished after two years I wouldn't still be dancing there was just no way that I had that confidence to potentially go somewhere else within Australia or audition overseas so it was really worth it it was worth the fight and then, you know, kind of strangely, I had a lot of repetitors or choreographers come from the outside in. And they were the ones that gave me the opportunities, which is amazing. And I fell in love too. <laughs> <laughs> so that changed everything as well. And I was just a lot happier. And I was I was doing work that I wanted to do. You know, I when you're not in a season, you have to fill your days in and, and it's hard because all you want to do is just be dancing and, you know, kind of doing what you're paid for and entertaining. And when that doesn't happen, you're kind of like, well, what do I do? Like mm -hmm. I am a dancer, but I've got to find something else to do. And it's not like you can go and get another job. You just have to fill your days with Pilates and gym. And that didn't fulfill me. So that's why that period was hard. But yeah, and then I think just kind of everything kind of came together around that kind of nine year mark and I got promoted to Corifay. So I think that was that little kind of moment of reassurance of like, you know, you're being seen and, mm. you know, support. And so that kind of got me going again. And then the second half of my career has been very different. But then I also felt like it was starting to plateau a little bit just before I got promoted to principal actually. So and you do have some really tough conversations and you have some tough times with, you know, with, with teachers and, and with your boss and everyone's in there because they want to be and they want to be the best and they want to tick those bucket list ballets off and, and we're all striving for that. And I was kind of at a frustrated point where I was like, well, I'm doing all the roles and that's great and I never imagined that, but now I want more. And I think mm. that's when I started to become a little bit frustrated with, so why aren't I being promoted, to be perfectly honest? Um, 
And then, yeah, it was kind of a crazy time. I let that kind of dream, I suppose, go. Like it wasn't going to happen. It's, it's not for you. And I had to be okay with, <laughs> with that, I suppose. And I did. And I became okay with that and got on with it and was still given incredible opportunities, which then fed me. So I felt really satisfied. But then I got promoted. <laughs> <laughs> but I was also pregnant. And so it's so weird even now to say I'm a principal artist of the Australian Ballet. Like it's, I don't know whether it's really sunk in, <laughs> to be honest. Um, so I think, yeah, that's, that's kind of been, for me, that kind of crazy start to um, dealing with just, I guess, a lot of self-doubt. And mm. I'm not a confident person. And I think from the outside in, you might kind of look and be like, she just seems so confident and with it. And I'm like, no, outer shell <laughs> certainly tells that, but I think that's because my mind's really strong and I can kind of get on with things, but inside it's um, kind of self-doubt and there's anxiety there. And um, even after all these years, but um, mm. yeah. It's interesting. I think people mistake performers who are natural performers as confident. And I don't know that that skill is the same thing at all. I actually think your ability to perform is you're so passionate for the art of performance that that doesn't actually require confidence from you, even though other people think, well, she must be so confident if she can be on stage. Yeah. You can't see the audience at the State Theatre. <laughs> no, <Like, laughs> no offence to anyone, but that's a wonderful thing. I mean, I don't I don't even like my mum telling me what show she's going to still. Like I'm still like my shows of Aurora, I just was like she knew not to, to ask me. So she went through Jared, my husband, and was like, okay, organise tickets for this night and that night. I still just don't like to know. And, and, and they're the things, you know, that pop up, like the mm. tapping the wood three times before you go on stage or doing this or doing that. They're the little things that everyone has and, um, or signing a program or a pair of shoes, not doing that before you go on stage, doing it after because you don't want to do it before because then they see your performance and you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> little things like that. But, yeah, I, I agree that I think, you know, it's been my natural kind of um, – my natural home and, and there's a sense of security around what, what I do day in and day out. But mm. it certainly doesn't mean that, yeah, what you see on stage, this kind of um, smiley, happy, doing what I do and, and, you know, doing it well. Like I do, I, I do feel satisfied when I do it because I pride myself on doing it well and being better than I was the day before, et cetera. But it's certainly not um, because I'm confident and... <laughs> very self-assured. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that you mentioned that I think is really interesting is the period where you did put on a little bit of weight during your career, which it is not unlike a lot of um, entertainment industries like modelling, for example, where as much as generally the world's approach to body positivity and inclusivity is has come so far, there are industries that of course have to depend on your physical ability to do the job that is physically based. And I think something that ballet gets a bad rap for because doing 12, 15 hours a day of physical activity, most ballerinas are like have no body fat, are so incredibly fit. Um, There are a lot of assumptions about eating disorders or the pressure to be stick thin. And I mean, I quit very, very early on 
But in my experience, what I found ballerinas struggled more with than that was the perfectionism that you've just been talking about. It's not so much controlling their eating. I mean, you could eat anything and still be tiny because you're exercising so much. And if you didn't eat, I would feel like you couldn't maintain that many hours of physical exercise. But it's more the pressure on themselves to be perfect all the time that consumes ballerinas more than anything. So what at a professional level has been your experience of those dynamics? Has it is there a lot of pressure to be a certain weight and eat in a, a certain way or is it more just to do the role well and, and to have perfect feet and, you know, a technique? Like what? Yeah. where does the yeah. pressure points come from? Look, I think it's definitely changed in terms of what you were saying about, you know, once upon a time it was, I suppose, like a certain look. Um, but now we really go down that path of fit. We look fit and everyone is so different, you know, like, some have, I have more muscle on my legs than what I do on my upper body, you know, and that's just the way it is. But that's where my strength is. So that's like a plus, you know what mm. I mean? It's like I have a butt and I have thighs and I can jump, you know, it's, and, and, and as you go on, you really, you find that there is no way that you can restrict what you eat because like you said, dancing the way we do in eight shows a week and you're doing back-to-back Wednesday's double show and Saturday's a double show day. And it's very demanding, you know, like it is about an hour changeover sometimes. So you work out what you need to kind of fuel your body to be able to perform at its, you know, the physical kind of peak that it can. And, I mean, it's not even in that period of time where I had put on weight. Um, I put on like 10 kilos actually. Wow. Yeah. And it wasn't even, and you know, it's that thing too of like, I hit puberty so late, but I hit it in a lycra leotard in front of a mirror. (laughs) But it wasn't, it wasn't um, about food or anything like that. I still was like basically eating what I was kind of, you know, like have, have always ate, but I was just unhappy and just not doing the work that I wanted to do. So from coming from a student where you were working really hard and it was in class day in and day out to then coming into the company, I kind of had two years and then, you know, for whatever reason, it was like I wasn't put down in that season. And so I'd have a season that was like off and it was just kind of class. So trying to balance that. So it was like the whole time balancing when you were working so full on to then when you were working just a little bit and you think, oh, I've got my food intake right and I've got this right and I need this to be able to do that. And so it was a constant constant juggle and battle as to how much food you needed to how much exercise and trying to work it all out. And it slowly starts to work itself out. I think as you go on, I've gotten better at just knowing what my body needs and how and like I said earlier on about having a lunch break at 12 and then you turn around, you're having lunch breaks at 2.30. So do I just not eat that whole time? I've only got 15 minutes. Like how am I going to do this? So Mm. it was working all of that out, which took a lot of time. And then for my personal um, journey, it was I just became really unhappy because I wasn't doing what I wanted to be doing. So that came into it as well. But I have chocolate every night. I love it. It's like my indulgence, you know, like it's like people think, oh, they mustn't eat that. But I think that's long gone now. Like mm. we, we, you know, we indulge, we love coffee. It keeps us going. We're just like <laughs> now. So we walk around with our coffee cup sometimes during bar. I'm still sipping mine and, um, we indulge and, and we like to go out when we can. You know, we don't often get to go out for a dinner because we're performing. So when we get mm. that chance too, it's like, yes, I will have that all I can eat. Thank you very much. 
<laughs> off the to have that feed me menu. So, um, and it's so different for everybody. Um, yeah. The demands of maybe someone that is at the top end of the company to the bottom um, for a season, not the bottom, I should say the quarter ballet. It's just different and you just have to work it out as you go. And I think that's one of the hardest things about becoming student to professional is mm. working all of that out mentally, physically. Mm. It's a lot in the first couple of years of becoming a professional. And I think it's really interesting that you've mentioned a couple of times about how hard it is on an off season where your whole passion and joy and identity is wrapped up in being productive in the way that yeah. that's interpreted in ballet is having a role to play. And of course, in COVID, that was stripped from not just people who are on an off season, but everyone in the company. And your last performance, I think you said, was March last year, and you still haven't been back on stage. How was that for everyone, and particularly yourself and Jared, finding a new identity in that time and also keeping your bodies conditioned for the time when you would, as now you are about to go back on stage? You know, how did you guys cope? Did you do online classes? Did you find a side of yourself that maybe you hadn't had a chance to nurture for many years while you were both full-time? I mean, at the Australian Ballet, we had so much support. We were three shows in, like I said, and it was my my three shows back from my second pregnancy with Phoenix. So I literally got on stage for three shows. and that Was, was it? Yeah. <laughs> so it feels like I, I haven't been in the ballet world or performed for nearly two years. So... I am going to be a sweaty hot mess come the end of February. <laughs> <laughs> you have to send me a video. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It'll be like, I'll be red. Anyway, we had the opening night on the Friday and on the Saturday we went to go into our double show and we had to have no orchestra. I believe someone fell ill, so we took those precautions to just be like, nope. So we danced to disc for the Saturday two performances. We had Sunday free and obviously, you know, we kind of started to see things unfold. We got back into the studio and it was like, the shows are not happening. Um, We're just going to play it by ear. We're just going to rehearse. And so there was a few rehearsals. And then it got to the following week and we were in there on Monday. There was a meeting and they said, you were online. I don't know whether I was alone, but like I was being maybe a little too optimistic with like, that's okay. I can do this for like a month or two. We'll be right. <laughs> a few weeks. It'll be fine. <laughs> Here, and then what were we? Eight months later in lockdown. So I shared a lot of disappointment and kind of frustration of like, are you kidding? Like I've just gotten back. It was so much hard work to get back. And my little family has just gotten back into this routine and we've just hit the stage again. And like, oh my God. So we actually went home to the country to my mom and spent four weeks nearly at home and my sister has a dance school there and so we went down to the studio every day. Oh, that's amazing. It was absolutely amazing. To have a space like that, as you know, is so important for a dancer. And while we were doing that, my mom being an ex-primary teacher was teaching Willow online and doing what she needed to do because mom and dad have no clue (laughs) as to how you were supposed to teach a child that's in foundational prep. So she was doing that. Then we came back together and you know what? We just, we had family time that we were not going to have in that year. Mm. We, we gained time back with our kids and as a family and with my mum. Like I've been out of home since I was 15. You know, we did what we could for I think about two and a half hours each morning. We kind of do what we needed to do. And then we just had a life and we, we did 
what we needed around the home and Jared got in the garden and helped my mum out and we, <laughs> we cooked meals and we sat down at dinner time at a normal hour and all those things that you kind of forget about I suppose because you know I've, I've been in this routine in the ballet world for so long now that that's my kind of my normal so mm. I gained a lot back and and time back which we loved and um we then headed back to Melbourne and we were still online at that point. We all got delivered a piece of tarquette, which is a special floor for us to work on, uh, especially for the women in the point shoes. But we are so spoiled that we have like a sprung floor all through the Australian ballet, <laughs> which we didn't get delivered, of course, because that would be absolutely crazy. But um, we all dance on these, you know, metre square tarquettes in our lounge room, in our bedroom, wherever you had the space. And, you know, I really do believe that I was I was more fortunate and more lucky than than others. I have a husband that's in the same industry and yes that brings its own challenges and I have a, a little family but there was a real understanding of what we were both going through mm. and we had each other whereas for some of my colleagues they were by themselves in an apartment so to find motivation and inspiration and to be able to talk to people like we do day in and day out because you know you have your moments in the studio where you have tears and you have people come up to you and you share this or you see someone and they just need a hug none of that was all taken away from us so I do feel like I was really fortunate in that respect mm. and then yeah just the juggle I mean we didn't have to have our screens on <laughs> so we would all log in and there's 75 of us and we would all log in and you'd see everyone's names pop up on like your um, program photo but you, didn't, <laughs> you didn't have to turn your video on because you know it was like it would probably blow up so they were very trusting of course of us being absolute professionals and just taking a, a ballet class day in and day out which of course is so hard for them being by themselves projecting through a screen to 75 of us spread over everywhere day in and day out and you know a very kind of few times you'd kind of press the button like yeah we heard you that that sounds good thanks like you know, <laughs> trying to like let them know that someone was there and we weren't just having a cup of tea and taking a chill so and we had many funny moments but um I'm sure we all shared a lot of downtime and and emotionally downtime. Um, mm. My motivation went up and down and up and down. And yeah, then we got into the studio for the month of November, but of course, not as we know it. We were in little pods, little groups. It wasn't the world that we kind of had known. You know, as you know, it's a very hands-on kind of touch, feel, pas mm. de deux. You know, you do that with, with a male dancer and we couldn't do any of that. So, and of course, no performances all year, which is where I get my motivation to work in class on what we're doing to then work in rehearsal to then build up to do a show and there was none of that so in my mind I was like so what am I working for mm. what what do I have to kind of keep me going and yeah you can always work on your technique and create that's the crazy ballet world right you're always learning something new and something about yourself and how to execute a step better but you were doing all of that and had nothing to then kind of show that you'd put that work in or to perform and just take someone else on a journey and everyone escape for two hours. So mm. that was tough. And I think everywhere around the world and, you know, especially at the moment in the UK and America are really struggling with that. It's just when you don't have that, you kind of like, well, what do we do it for? We do it because we want to 
you know, be with people and project across that uh, orchestra pit and <laughs> people, you know, on a beautiful journey. So, Which you do. Yeah. <laughs> you absolutely do. And I think your audience probably missed it just as much as you guys. I think so, yeah. For yeah. so many people, that's their outlet is coming to watch you and to let themselves be whisked away by by the orchestra and by your performances. But yeah. without diminishing the incredible challenge it's been for everyone, I think one of the silver linings that has started to emerge is particularly for people like yourselves whose joy is your job and whose vocation is your all-consuming purpose, mm. you don't actually have to really go and find joy in other places because you have it all day every day. But I think we're all better at what we do when we do get some distance from it and do cultivate an identity outside of it. And obviously having children means that's a, a bit forced on you. You have to kind of <laughs> <laughs> attend to their minute to minute needs. Um, but even still, like, I don't think we have ever prioritized finding joy in smaller moments or smaller activities outside of being productive than we have in the last 12 months, uh, which leads to the very last section which is your play TA and that's mm -hmm. the the things you do that make you forget what time it is and that aren't related to being better at what you do or improving or achieving or you know that have to be separate to ballet and separate to the exercises that help you condition yourself for ballet <laughs> ballet 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 yeah. <laughs> well I don't know whether people know and I mean it's something that I kind of put on my socials a little bit but I love baking and when I was on maternity leave, I actually took a course, which <gasps> absolutely petrified me because as people probably also don't know, I hate walking into a room where I don't know anyone. And I, I'm like, I think that's why I do a mute art. So I don't have to. <laughs> it's not that I don't like meeting new people. I love that. And when I get into it, I'm like, ah, I breathe. But for me to walk in and mind you, it was eight people that I'm talking about. I walked into a room of eight people and I was like, <laughs> wedding um but it was like people I didn't know when I was doing something completely out of my comfort zone like I YouTubed how to do things and I slapped it on I'm like it kind of looks all right you know but I was going into a class being taught by someone who's a professional you know completely different and so I did the don't tell Charles workshop and it was just for uh, like the, the day the Sunday so I had Phoenix and I booked myself in the day had come. And so I went off and I did this cake course and it was amazing. And I loved it. And I learned so much. And so now I'm like the kind of the cake baker of the family. <laughs> and the ballet and the company. Yeah. <laughs> and there's quite a few people that love to bake, but you know, we don't often have that time, but we kind of go into the cake cakes. And so we've learned layering and the butter cake and, you know, how to perfect it and get your scraper and your turntable. And, you know, I sound like I really know what I'm doing, but I'm still. I know you do. That. <laughs> Such a pro. <laughs> um, but I love it. It's like, you know, I loved it beforehand. It was like my escape and like you said, something completely different to ballet, but it then stressed me out because I'd get a lump in the icing and my <laughs> cake would like sink or something like that. So now it's like therapeutic. I love it. And Willow also likes to get in the kitchen with me. So it's something that we can do. Phoenix yeah. likes to eat it. Willow likes to make it. So it's kind of, you know, a win Perfect. situation. Um, That's what I call balance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's balance. Yeah, maybe that's that's the thing that people don't know about me and, and my, my thing that I do that's 
completely separate, but I still feed the dancers. So, you know, it's like. <laughs> still connected. <laughs> oh, well, just to finish up, the second last question actually is three interesting things about you that don't normally come up in conversation. So that can be one. <laughs> Good. So you, you've got to throw us two others that are like weird, quirky, fun things that only Jared would know or only the ballerinas who are on tour with you would notice. Oh, goodness. I mean, I have many, many, many quirks, but oh God, I don't even know what one of them could be. Or maybe I shouldn't share too many because there are so many kind of crazy things that I do. <laughs> um, I think Jared worked out very early on that I was a bit of a crazy cleaning kind of lady. Okay. So my pantry, I'm a label all the time. <gasps> You're a labeler. No, you're those people who have those like Pinterest worthy cupboards. I'm trying to aim for that. I'm getting there. I love it. Like I absolutely, I mean, you know, I went from like the, you know, the little label machine thing to then <laughs> an actual company where I'm like, I got all the jars and I'm like labeling things. I'm like, and it's all lined up and I hate. So like, for instance, your tuna, it like all, I stack them up, but they all have to be facing the same way. Uh, <laughs> like I'm, I'm that nut job. I'm that. No, I love it. I would if my whole household wasn't incompatible with that. <laughs> um, but in in an ideal world, in my dream oasis, in my brain, is a pantry where all the tuna labels yeah, line up. I love. It. I like to really get off on that. So, <laughs> and you know, it's like you unpack the groceries, and I'm like, no, 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 no. I've got this, Jared. Like he, but you know, he's also learned at at kind of, well, we've been together for like 11 years now. So he's learned that crazy lady way and he actually kind of gets a bit off on it too now. <laughs> it does look good now, doesn't it? You know, I'm like, who put that in there and didn't turn the label the right way? Um, so date night for you guys is like a pantry situation together. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's about all we've got time for. So maybe I should do that one night. You've given me an idea. Um, I'll run it by Jared and see what he thinks. Oh, I don't really, I mean, my other thing is I absolutely hate flying. I'm terrified of flying. <gasps> what I do as a living, you know, we tour and I fly. And so since having Willow, she now holds my hand. Oh, that's <laughs> so cute. Yeah, I don't know. It just, um, I'm a control freak. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, as we all know, you step on that plane and you are not in control of anything except for a screaming child or whatever. Um, but they've been amazing travellers, my two. And, um, you know, we've taken low here, there and everywhere around the world. And she's always been such a delight, um, you know, for us as well because it's quite a stressy time. Um, mm. She's been amazing she's so wonderful phoenix on the other hand is a little different i think he'll be running the aisles so yeah that will be fun but i'll have willow there with me helping me out she's my he'll be jetting the aisles <laughs> he might be he's got the twinkle toes he's always got twinkle toes yeah so oh. who knows but yeah. so my husband i wish he was here right now because he could show you his arches Insane. are like you know those people who never had an inclination towards ballet will never get to show yeah. just how, like, his torso is short, his legs are so long, he's got hyperextension, the arch is just without even trying. And I'm but like, no. why? What, what a waste. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what a waste. Well, you know, it's never too late. There's adult ballet classes, you know. There is too, but I, I wouldn't do it because I'd be like, I have to, like, bend my feet in half in a doorway <laughs> to make my arches do that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I love it. It's true, though, isn't it? Like, 
Willow's kind of got it all there and there is no way that we're going to push her into something like that. She really, like, she started gymnastics and loved it and, but, like, you know, even there you could see, like, she was, like, pointing her feet and I'm like, whoa, but there's no interest. She's like, I want to do boxing or karate. So... <laughs> We're going with that. We're going with what that. What a bowler. I know. And then, yeah, who knows what Phoenix will do. He's only one and a half. So it will be an interesting little journey with him. <laughs> oh, well, in the ballet world, he's only one and a half years off, like, starting his career. Oh, my God, that's insane. <laughs> I better pop into block and get him some tights. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and the final question, since I love quotes so much, what's your favourite quote? It's a Sylvie Guillem quote. So if everyone in the ballet world probably just drools over her, um, if you don't know, you could Google her and it would just be flooded your screen. But she said that we don't reach limits with our, it's like you don't reach limits with the, the body, you reach them with the mind. So it's like it's all about power of the mind and mm. I'm kind of, I'm big on that, you know, I'm big on that kind of mental power and strength and the health and, um, yeah, so I always kind of try and remember that, that it's not like, you know, you just got to, the power of the mind is so strong and, and you can keep kind of pushing through and I think that's why I just talk to myself a lot. Um, <laughs> a great conversation. Way. We have your best conversations with yourself, right? So, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I, you know, power of the mind—it's such a good thing, and I and I love kind of, um, I guess now that it's you know that stigma is kind of taken away of of and slowly getting better, I suppose, of just talking about how you move through through things and and whether you did have you know some some moments there where it was like a real mental kind of struggle and and mm. that's okay and we all have periods of that and keep that communication and that conversation open and going I think it's really important absolutely um, yeah that's kind of my quote that I like to kind of remind myself of and power of the mind I think that's so wonderful <laughs> thank you so much for joining you are an absolute delight thank you so much for having me it's been so fun <laughs> Well, I think I probably enjoyed this one the most out of everyone. <laughs> it's another one of those selfish episodes where I just ask all the questions I've been dying to ask her since the last time I checked in with her fabulous career. I hope you guys learned a little bit about the ballet world, had a few of the misconceptions about ballerina life busted and got a great insight into the inner workings of a principal artist at the Australian Ballet. As always, please do let Amy know what you took away and if you enjoyed listening, tagging at Amy Harris underscore seven and myself so we can reshare and of course keep those submissions coming for the A's of Our Lives segment as well guys want to shine so much light on all of our community heroes and share so much good news it's actually alarming and doing my research for the two episodes we've done already just to you know create my own neighborhood watch section while we wait to be able to record others there's so little good news out there you can't even find there are very few central hubs for news that's uplifting and happy and wonderful and I want this yayberhood to do just that for us all. So keep those submissions coming, keep your eyes peeled for wonderful yay uplifting stories and send them on through to smile at spoonfulofsarah.com. Hope you guys are having a wonderful week and surviving this lockdown to my fellow Melburnians. Lots of virtual love to you all and we'll be back soon. Have a wonderful week. Hope you're seizing your yay.